I'm Roxanne Cody, and welcome to Just the Right Book. We're a podcast for curious, enthusiastic, and engaged readers, and our job is to help you discover new books in all genres. We'd like to give you unique insights into your favorite authors and keep you up to date with what's going on in the literary world. I reached out to John J. Osborne, Jr., uh, to come on for an interview for a couple of reasons. One is, I read his new book, Listen to the Marriage, and the book is narrated by the marriage counselor, which is an interesting way to be a fly on the wall in marriage counseling. And it it was a very interesting book to think about the things that derail marriages and the things that really provide the glue and the architecture of marriages that do work. I, and I was curious why he wrote this. A, he hadn't written a book uh, in 37 years, and it was 47 years since he wrote The Paper Chase, which, you know, became a movie and sold a gazillion copies. So let's get to my conversation with John. What is your reaction when you hear of a marriage breaking up? Were you shocked or did you know it was coming? In John J. Osborne's new novel, Listen to the Marriage, we are introduced to a couple who seem to be destined for divorce. Steve's numerous affairs and focus on work have finally led his wife Gretchen to take the children and move out, not to mention start her own affair. But in a last-minute attempt to salvage their union— They begin weekly sessions with Sandy, an unconventional therapist. Told through Sandy's eyes, we see the couple both confront and skirt issues that have torn them apart. It is an emotional, intense exploration of marriage and love. Now, John J. Osborne's background is he's an author, he's a screenwriter, he's a lawyer, he's a legal academic— and best known for his novel and screenplay for Paper Chase. In addition to several other novels, his work has appeared in Law Reviews and New York Times and the Washington Post. So this book is, um, to say the least, a departure from his earlier work, and we're going to get to explore that topic uh, with John J. Osborne. John, welcome to Just the Right Book. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So, John, the obvious question is your last novel was 37 years ago. And I think I have that right. So what prompted you to write a novel now and why on this topic? Boy, that's a good question. Um, So uh, let's see. I have been playing around with the idea for this novel, you know, because my wife and I went through uh, marriage counseling for about the length of time that the couple in my novel goes through it. And Mm -hmm. it was so incredibly helpful to us. You know, it just, it made our marriage so much better. Actually, we got us back together um, that I, I wanted to somehow get that, you know, write that down and, you know, put it out to the public. So that was quoted the thing, but I couldn't get the book right. And then suddenly I had uh, an inspiration and then I could write the book. And that inspiration was? The inspiration was that the book had to be told from the marriage counselor's point of view, mm. not from the couple. I mean... My inclination was to tell it from the guy, from the husband's point of view, because that's who I am. You're a guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm a guy, and I was the husband. And then, but I realized that was wrong. 
And I also realized the marriage counselor needed to be a woman. So, I mean, I was like shocked when I got these realizations. I didn't know if I could do it, but it, actually it just made the whole book open up. Yeah, I found that that really made it work for me because I felt like, I mean, you, you could write it obviously from any one of the points of view, but it made you feel like you had a relatively reliable narrator. Yes, yes. And you could also see what the marriage counselor was trying to do. Right. Right. And so one of the other questions I was going to ask you, which you've sort of answered, since this was such a departure from what you've written about, all your work has been connected to the field of law, that did you base it on experience, research, or observation? Well, I based it on the fact that my wife and I went to our marriage council for four years. So you, you, you wrote this book, obviously, as a novel, and given that it's based on your real-life experience, one is, I assume, you had your wife's permission. Well, my wife was working with me all the time. I mean, as soon as I wrote something, the first person I gave it to was her. Right. And what's been the reaction? You have children. What's been the reaction of children or friends or relatives to the publishing of the book? Um, well, the, the book hasn't come out yet for the relatives, but my kids have read it, and they really love it. Yeah, I mean, that just hasn't been a problem, and I, I didn't think it would be. You know, remember, the book is fiction. Yes, yes, but it's very hard, I think, when it's a book like this and it's a departure, to not assume, I'm not saying that's accurate, yeah, sure. to assume that it's based, it's a novelization of a close to the actual set of events. Well, the, the lessons that the couple went, uh, learn, the lessons that Sandy, the marriage counselor, teaches them over the 10 months, those are real. You know, those are the kind of lessons that we learned. But the characters are not my wife and I. Right. And, and what happens to them is not exactly what happened to my wife and me. Right. So, um, so no, I, I mean, it's really interesting. I'll tell you something that fascinated me. I have journals that I, I've kept for a long time. And so I had very clear journals about my wife and I going to the marriage counselor. Mm -hmm. And... At the beginning, I leaned on those journals, and I could not write the book while I was doing that. Right. And ultimately, I, I literally threw out the journals, you know, so I wouldn't be tempted to go back and use them. Wow, you threw them out? I did. I, I tried just putting them away for a while, but I found myself cheating. Do you, are you okay with the fact that you threw them out now that the book's yeah. done? Completely. I mean, it was so liberating. That's fascinating. Do I you know. Otherwise, I, I, we, do you generally keep a journal? Or you just kept a journal during the time you were no, going no, through. No, we, we. I generally keep a journal, and my wife keeps a journal too. Yeah, I keep a journal, and I, I and I've kept one for decades. Yeah, me too. And I think you know, I go back to them as a way of learning or putting history uh, in perspective, I, I think I'd be upset about having thrown them out. Well, I didn't throw all of them out. I just threw out the ones that one. covering the marriage counseling period. Uh, now, I've seen an interview um, of you where you mention, I assume it's the same wife, uh, that yes, you I, actually I, met your wife, wife. At, at, at Harvard. Uh, I met her the summer before she went to Harvard. And and you used that to get admission to Harvard Law School? <laughs> uh, no, actually, but I, 
I was desperate to get to Harvard Law School because my wife was still at Radcliffe. Right. So I, I, you know, I, I was. That was one of the greatest reliefs of my life when I got in. And did you get married after law school? Well, no, we got married um, after my first year in law school. So you, so you've been married a very long time. My husband and I got married during college. Uh huh. Wow. And so we're. Yeah, we've been. We've been married. We just celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary. Right. So our 50th anniversary is coming up next year. Wow. Well, so there's there's probably not many of you and me. <laughs> or <laughs> maybe know. there is. There's, I think there's quite a few. You know, I do think there's quite a few. And do you think that – so this is sort of a, a question separate from the book. Sure, um, sure. So did you find it being more important because you had been married that long? Mm. See, we we did the marriage counseling thirty years ago, so we had actually oh, you hadn't more been married 30, that 35 long, thirty five years. Yeah, yeah, we'd been married maybe thirteen or fourteen years, um, but uh, I just found it so extraordinarily helpful. Yeah, you know, it, it was like I understood my wife for the first time. And what about the process? Do you think makes that happen? Well, I think a lot. I mean, I, I think a lot has to do with the marriage counseling. Yeah. Um, because uh, I don't this I don't want to get complicated, but a lot of marriage counselors try to make deals between the couple, you know, between the husband and wife. If you'll agree to this, then you know you'll all agree to this. You know what I mean? Yes. And our marriage counselor said at the very beginning, there's going to be no deals. You know, absolutely no deals. Now, um, and what she meant by that is really simply, she meant you have to become the kind of person that your spouse wants to love. Mm. You know, that's the only way it's going to work. It's not going to work to try to say, okay, you know, you'll both agree not to sleep with anybody. You'll both agree that you'll do the dishes or, you know, that's not going to work. She's saying it has to be about real change. Well, and, you know, one of the things, uh, one of the quotes in the book, uh, this is from the marriage counselor. Um, I didn't say I had no ideas, Sandy said. I have one idea. I think you need to feel better about yourself. I think that is the place to start. You can't do anything about Gretchen right now, but you can do something about yourself. You need to do whatever will make you feel better. Yeah. So, so that's well, a little bit different. And and I do think, and this is based on observation, that a lot of times when I hear friends talk about what's straining their marriage, it often comes down to a person seems to be unhappy within themselves and yeah. want the marriage to somehow make up for that. I think that's absolutely right. And and the marriage can't do that. But the marriage does have a power of its own. You know, there's a reason everybody wants to be in a relationship. It's 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 really self-affirming and it can can be just incredibly helpful in all kinds of ways. And what I think you know, what you see happening in the book, mm-hmm. what I think I'm hearing from you, that's sort of a byproduct of marriage counseling, is a kind of liberation to be open. Absolutely. You, that's, that is, you know, these are very defended people. And one of the marriage counselors, Sandy's biggest task is getting them to be open with each other. Yeah. There's a line, there's an, There's another piece in the book that I thought, um, I, I often have a term for this, but I'll read it first. Sandy thought about the way they were entwined together, trapped together, how both of them tried to avoid talking about the hard stuff. Would they rather get divorced than talk about the difficult issues between them? Maybe. Yeah. So elaborate on that a little bit for us, John. Well, so, I mean, I, I think the quote really is, is you know, what, 
what Sandy's saying is it is so difficult to be vulnerable, mm. you know, to, to, to go out there and say, this is what I'm really feeling, you know, to just put it on the line that some people can't do it. You know, it's just too, too hard a task. So that's one of her long-term goals with this couple, to try to get them so that they can allow themselves to be vulnerable. Yeah, because the term that I often use for this is willful blindness. Mm-hmm. You know, like we can, you, you kind of know your spouse is having an affair, or you kind of know sure. uh, that they drink too much, or you know this, or sure. you know that, but it, you just don't want to uh, break up what I call the architecture of the history of your marriage. Well, that's one of the things, the, the, the uh, Gretchen, who's the wife in the book, that's one of her big problems. You know, she just, she's willing to just not look. Right. You know, because it's just too painful for her to look. Um, right. And she has to learn how to do that. And, and, John, what did you learn in the process of writing this? I mean, so you went through the marriage counseling almost 40 years ago, 35 years ago. Yeah, 35 years ago. And But then, remember, we went for four years. Right. And, and finally, our marriage counselor said, guys, you know, you're going to have to do this on your own. This is not designed to go for your entire marriage. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Um, but now you wrote the book. Did you write the book uh, pretty recently, right? I mean, it's just published. Oh, yeah. yeah in the last two years. So last what did you years. learn? What did you learn in the process of writing the book that well, surprised you? So um, what surprised me? Um, so the book, I wasn't quite sure that this would work, but the book is about what happens in the office, mm. if that makes any sense. That is the whole story of the book. The affairs, whatever's going on outside the office, aren't, aren't really part of the story. Yeah. They're actually, what's happening is that Sandy is making them change in that office. Mm. And I knew that going in, but I wasn't sure that I could make that story exciting. And I, and I kind of feel like, uh, you know, I kind of feel like I was able to do that. And I want the reader to wake up at about page 40 and get this this sudden insight that that's the truth of the book. You know, mm. that the book, it doesn't care what happens outside. It cares what literally happens in the office, those insights they get in the office, how they change their, their uh, relationship in the office. And, and, you know, John, the other thing I, I thought about, so there, just for our listeners, here's a couple of things that were... Sure. That were my takeaways um, from the book is, as we were just talking, as somebody who's been married for almost 50 years, although this couple is married about 15 years, was it? Yeah, maybe 10. 10 or 15 years. Yeah. But it has all the ingredients that you often see are either issues in a marriage or breakup marriages, affairs, mm-hmm. money. Yeah dishonesty, guardedness. And what I found very interesting about it was just that, you know, it normalizes some things that you think about. Uh, I think the way you have Sandy talk to them can even help you think about your own marriage and how Mm -hmm. you uh, deal with things. So, I mean, I would have thought you were a psychologist writing this thing. Well, that's really sweet of you. <laughs> it, was, it was my reaction. And so now I'm going to make believe you're a psychologist for a second and ask you this question. Yeah. I remember, well, let's put it this way. I think a lot of times when you hear about a marriage breaking up and you're shocked because they always seem mm-hmm. good, 
the first thing sure. you want to do is sort of distance yourself from what happened because that means your marriage could surprisingly break up too. So, mm-hmm. it, you, you know, like if you read about somebody getting mugged, you want to make sure they're walking at a time of day that you wouldn't walk or they're in a neighborhood right. you don't right. w- wouldn't walk in. Um, yep. So, you you know, you want to find out things like somebody was having an affair or, you know, they realize that they're not heterosexual or, sure. you know, one of one of those things. But a friend of mine who was shocked that her spouse and they were um, a gay couple mm-hmm. was shocked that her wife wanted a divorce. Hmm. And I asked her, well, Really, there was nothing that would have given you an indication. And she said, well, unless the fact that it annoys me that you don't empty the dishwasher rises to the level as a reason for a divorce. Mm-hmm. And yeah. how often do you think that ends up being the case, that people, that these small, little, tiny annoyances rise to the level of unhappiness with the marriage, or do you think they're just representational? I think they're just representations. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think it, it really so often comes down to the fact that the couple just cannot communicate with each other, you know, and if you can't communicate with each other, then the marriage is in, is in real trouble because it's that communication that gives you the substance of the marriage. Yeah. You know, and I mean, you're, what you're saying to me is that, that they, they're really not communicating. If the big issue is the if dishwasher. the big issue is the dishwasher, then most guys are not communicating on a deep level. Yeah. Uh, okay, good. So I, I just made you Dr. Osborne. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and now I don't want to say what, the, what happens at the end to this couple, but did the ending yeah. surprise you, or did you have that in your mind? I, I knew that from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. But um, so some of the things that surprised me as I went along, for example, the green chair. Yeah. You know, I, it just suddenly hit me. There's going to be a green chair in that office. And, you know, I mean, this is the wonderful thing about writing fiction. These things appear. Right. And you can you can go anywhere with them. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so let me ask you an entirely different question. I, sure. I find your background um, of. So you're you're a trained lawyer, went to Harvard uh, yep. College, went to Harvard Law School, practiced law in a, you know, a Wall Street um, yep. a kind of a firm. The, you st- do you still teach law at the University of San Francisco Law School? I, I do. I've just, I've just retired, um, you know, and I, w- whether I'm going to teach one course or not, I, I haven't decided. I'm not going to teach this year. But you've been an academic as well. Oh, but, yeah. But sort of on the side, you've written a bunch of novels and a ton of screenplays. So well, what, did, what was I that? Did this, How did that happen? So so um, there was a brief period of time where I had two television shows on at the same time, The Paper Chase and a show called The Associates, which was based, based on, on another my, book you wrote. Another book I wrote. And if you have two shows on national on network television, you know, you get invitations to write. Um, and so I suddenly had a lot of invitations to write television. And I, you know, in retrospect, I'm not sure I did the right thing, but I spent more than 10 years writing in Hollywood. 
And why do you think it might not have been the right thing? Because it, a, a screenplay is just not rewarding the way, I mean, a teleplay is not rewarding the way a novel is. Mm. You know, it, it, gets, it gets filtered through a whole bunch of other people, and it, it ends up being somehow different than, than where you started. Whereas, you know, this novel, um, Listen to the Marriage, is exactly what I want it to be. And, and that's, that's very rewarding as an artist. And then the other thing was Hollywood is a pretty horrible place to be, I discovered in the end. Mm, in what way? And it was, oh, God, I mean, oh, everybody's, everybody's on the make in one way or another. Um, mm. You know, it was terrible in my marriage, you know. I was always flying off, you know. Um, anyway, so, I've, you know, that finally I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. And that's when I... Uh, became a law professor. You know, it's just, I mean, I love people having different careers. I did mm -hmm. tax law as an accountant and then opened a bookstore. So I think yeah. there's, you know, plenty of room for a variety of careers. I think people are often fearful about making big changes like that. So I like the, you know, I was just, uh, it was appealing to me to see the back and forth. So, John, given that you had total control over the book. What do you hope people will gain from reading it? Well, you know, this, okay, so this is kind of wildly ambitious, but one of the reasons I wrote it is I wanted, I wanted to get this message across that you can change your marriage. Mm. You can make, you know, you can actually make it much better. You know? Yeah, and, that, that is and, the way, uh, that was a takeaway for me. Well, that's what I was trying to do, but, you know, I mean, that's sort of presumptuous, but it's really what I wanted to say, you know, because these guys start out and their marriage is really on the rocks. Right. And and they are able to put it back together. I mean, they couldn't do it alone, but Sandy, over, it takes time, over time is able to, to give them the tools to create a very rewarding marriage. So, you know, here's a thought that just popped into my head. You know, yeah. I generally believe that absent extremely adverse conditions, most people are not that capable of fundamental, profound change. I, I tend to agree with you. Yet you feel, and I agree with you, that you can change your marriage. So how are those two things different? Well, I, I mean, look, if I, you know, in, 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 ret in retrospect, I wish I had gone to the marriage counselor way, way earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't go, we didn't go until we were in deep trouble, you know, in my actual marriage. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you do that because what you just said is completely right. You know, you, you, you tend to go when things have hit rock bottom, but maybe if people read the book, they'll go sooner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Let's hope for that. I do think, John, that, um, that is the kind of thing I took away from it. It's, it makes me put under a microscope a couple of different things that, not that I wouldn't have thought about them, but I might be thinking about them in a fresh way. Mm -hmm. And I feel very fortunate because my marriage is not in trouble. Uh, but, right. You know, like everything, everything can always be even better. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and nothing wrong with making things better. Nope. So let me ask you a couple of different questions. Sure. Does this, you know, is this like re-exercising a muscle? Do you have another novel you're going to work on? Um, yeah. I mean, since I'm, you know, retiring from being a law professor, I thought I would write some more novels. And do you have um, a topic in your head? I do. It's kind of, it's kind of complicated. Um, so, but I do have an idea. Well, that's I'm exciting. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm excited. 
And then the last question I'll ask you, John, which I ask all our guests, is what's the book that changed your life? Oh, boy. Um, You know, I don't know, but I was just thinking about something um, because I was talking to a friend. And and I just reread a book I really love, which is by Laurie Coleman, Colwyn. And it's yes. called Happy All the Time. Mm. And uh, it's just such a delightful, delightful book. Yeah, um, she's a good writer. Fabulous, fabulous. And, you know, it's about two couples who ultimately are happy. Yeah. And and, um, and you picked it back up because this friend mentioned it? No, I, I there are a couple of books I keep um, around. So they're just sitting. And so I was sitting there and I, I realized I hadn't read that book in maybe 10 years, and I just picked it up and I couldn't put it down and read it again. You know, I keep that book around because of the characters in it are so, are so much fun. Mm. And, and do you generally it, reread books? Well, so then, you know, I mean, for example, there's a lot of dialogue in Listen to the Marriage. Right. I mean, most of it is dialogue. So I find that it's always helpful to read Elmore Leonard, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to be writing a lot of dialogue. Right. Because some people, some authors say... When they're in the midst of writing a book uh, or in preparation, they don't want to read other books because they're afraid they can't get rid of that author's cadence or sound in their head. But you find it helpful? Well, I, I mean, I'm not worried about getting influenced. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I just I just am not. I don't know why. Um, so, I mean, I don't tend to read other books when I'm actually writing. Yeah. I, I read Rory Colwyn again, uh, you know, like, a month ago. I'm going to reread that. It's fabulous. You'll love it. I think I read it decades ago. Is it that old? Yep, it is. Yeah, it's interesting. And yeah. so, John, will you be touring with the book? Yes. I'm I'm kind of trepidatious about it, but I'm going to New York and Boston and D.C. and stuff like that. What will make you nervous? Oh, the whole thing, you know. I mean, so, you know, I, I once years ago went to a a bookstore in uh, in Iowa, mm-hmm. in Iowa City, and it was Prairie in the middle of winter. Excuse me. Was it Prairie Lights? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think so. And the guy had, had it was for a book I wrote called "The Man Who Owned New York," and he had a model of the Empire State Building in the bookstore. There had been a huge snowstorm, and nobody came. Mm. You know, and here I was in the middle of Iowa. Yeah, it was a nightmare. Right. Well, that is, you know, as a bookstore owner uh, that hosts 250 events a year. Oh, my God. That is amazing. Um, and uh, we take reser- – in one of our stores, we take reservations. In the other store, mm-hmm. we don't take reservations. And the thing that mm-hmm. made me almost from the outset take reservations is the very first event we did was Morley Safer, who was oh, wow. then on 60 Minutes, and he lived not far from where R.J. Julius is. And we obviously had hundreds and hundreds of people. So I, yeah, I was a little cocky about how this works. Yeah. Um, and then the second event was Anita Shreve, oh, who wow. wasn't yet Anita Shreve with a capital A and a capital S. Right. And she lived in Westchester County at the time. Uh, she had three children. Uh, she hired a babysitter to schlep up to R.J. Julia's. Wow. And no one turned up. Oh, jeez. Oh, and my I, heart goes out to her. I, I was sick. I was absolutely, I was beside myself. Yeah. At, with, you know, my own embarrassment, embarrassment for her. And so then I, right then and there, I decided we're taking reservations. And I yeah. could tell the author 
no one signed up, we can cancel, or we only have five people, does that make you, you know, is that right. too sad, <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever you want to do. But at at our store at Wesleyan, we don't take reservations, hmm. and at uh, the store we manage uh, called Bookhampton in East Hampton, we also don't take and you know it feels like russian roulette to me yeah boy and and oh. you know there's a million reasons why people show or not show up even when yeah. bookstores do great promotion you know it, it yeah. could be about the weather it could be you know the world series is on you know there could be a bunch of things but but john here's the here's the um advice not that you've asked me for advice um, sure I'd- that to. I would give you. You are an extremely accomplished man. You have been around since we're not very different ages for a long time. <laughs> have fun with it. Yeah, I hope so. Just have fun with it. You know, if yeah. if nobody shows up, have a nice, you know, 10-minute conversation with the event host or the bookseller. Um, yeah. But you've done a really nice job with the book. You're getting out there, and who knows? You know, if there's one person, the conversation you have with them might change their lives. So yeah. have at it. Okay. Well, I'll do that. <laughs> I don't think I have any choice. <laughs> you're you're out there. Oh, I'm out there. All right. Well, enjoy it. Thank you for writing the book. And thank you so much for taking the time to be on Just the Right Book. This was just so much fun. I'm thank glad. You. I'm glad, John. Yeah. It was It was really... I. I love the book, and I thought, oh, I'm going to, I want to talk to this man. Oh, I'm so glad you wanted to. All right. You have fun out there. Thanks again to John J. Osborne, Jr. Make sure to pick up a copy of his book, Listen to the Marriage. It's available October 23rd, but you can reserve it at any of your independent bookstores. We love receiving your notes. Please continue to send us those notes, and you can email us at info at just the right book podcast. Dot com or message us on our Facebook page. Just the Right Book podcast is produced by Collisions, the podcast division of CRN International. Original new music was created by Mark Berman. Our producer is Christina Torres, and our audio engineer is Pat Keogh. Thank you all so much for listening. Just the Right Book listeners, this is Christina Torres, the show's producer. And here at Just the Right Book podcast, we love books. And we love going to our favorite indie bookstores to browse the staff suggestions. It's what they call shelf talkers in the book biz. Well, imagine having your own personal bookseller who handpicks books just for you. Just the Right Book subscription service is a personalized book of the month club that delivers just the right book to you or the voracious reader in your life's mailbox. How does it work? Well, first you go to justtherightbook.com and choose a 4, 6, or 12-month subscription. Then tell us about your reading tastes and preferences, favorite authors, genres, books, and more. Then your own personal bookseller will send you books picked just for you. And if a book is not just right, no problem. It can be exchanged for another. So... Go to justtherightbook.com, pour a cup of tea or a glass of wine, sink into your favorite chair, and experience the pleasure of a great read. And right now, only for Just the Right Book podcast listeners, you get 10% off a Just the Right Book book subscription. Just enter promo code PODCAST. It's active now until November 1st. 
Happy reading!